We've been walking with Jesus through the gospel of Lent, uh, for the gospel of Luke during this season of Lent, and uh, kind of culminated last week as, as Jesus came into Jerusalem. And you remember uh, the whole book of Luke is taking us on that journey as Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And last week he, he rode into the city on the donkey and uh, the people were shouting, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving the palm branches and it's a king's entrance as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. Now, as Jesus is coming into the city, that's on a Sunday. And Jesus spends that week teaching and preaching in the temple and uh, discipling his disciples. And then we get to Thursday, the day of the Passover. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, this morning, that day of Passover. Uh, The whole week is a celebration as the people are coming into the city to celebrate Passover. And if you remember during Passover, uh, thousands and thousands of people would be gathering in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the meal and, and, and people would open up their homes for these people who had came into Jerusalem. And on this day, this Passover day, Thursday, the church has traditionally called that day Monday Thursday. M-A-U-N-D-Y, Monday, Thursday. And it comes from the Latin Monday, which means uh, commandment or mandate. And we get that from Jesus's new commandment to love one another, that he told his disciples to love one another. And as we walk with Jesus today, we'll be going from the upper room where they celebrate the Passover to the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prays. Now this whole day, this Thursday would have been spent getting ready for the Passover meal, the Passover Seder, as it's called. And as I said, one of the things about the Jewish culture is there weren't a lot of hotels. Like if we go to visit another city, we would go to a hotel unless we had family there and then we'd stay with family. But in a Jewish culture at Passover, you were required. It was just a part of their culture. You would open your home to any outsiders who wanted to celebrate Passover with y'all. And so the, everyone, every place was crowded with people as they're celebrating this meal. And if you remember, Jesus earlier in the day had told Peter and John to go and get the lamb that they had selected for the Passover meal. They would have taken that lamb to the temple, presented that lamb before the priest to make sure it was spotless, that it was in good order. The priest would slaughter the lamb and the blood poured out as an offering. Then they would take the lamb and roast it, bring it back to the upper room where they would eat it later on that evening. And in the gospel of Luke, the focus on this night is on the meal itself. The majority of the the time is spent on that meal. And in our heads, we, and in our minds, we have an idea of what that meal would have looked like. And, And that's why I wanted you to see that video to help hopefully place you back in time to, to put you in that time and in that moment to see what it would have been like in the first century. Because for most of us, probably the image that we have of the Last Supper is like this one here, the Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, It's a great painting, but it's not accurate in how that Last Supper would have been. So I want us to be transported back in time to the first century as best as we can to that 
last supper that Jesus celebrated and help us to see what it would have really looked like. So if you can imagine you're in Jerusalem, the city is crowded, it's loud. Everyone is getting ready for the meal that night. It's like Christmas, but this is even more important for them. And everyone would have been getting ready for the meal all day long. And so as they're preparing, they're in a guest room and the text says they're in an upper room. And it would have been set up in a similar fashion to what I've tried to set up for us this morning. This table, it's called a triclinium, three-sided. Tribe, three, clinium, to recline. This is what a formal dinner would look like in the first century Greco-Roman world. Not like that, but like this. And so it's low to the ground and you would sit on the outside and the inside, if you're wealthy enough, if you had servants was where the servants would come and, and feed you the meal and take your plates away. This is where the servants would enter and exit. You would sit reclining on the outside. There would be cushions and pillows all around and you would kneel, recline. And reclining for the first century was a symbol of freedom, that you were a free person, that you could recline at the table. And so they would recline on their left elbow and eat with their right hand, with their feet back and no shoes on because it was considered impolite to eat with shoes on. That's why they had water at the door to wash your feet before you ate, because it's also impolite to have dirty feet when you eat. <laughs> but that's how they would recline and that's how they would eat. And this is what the last supper, that Passover meal would look like as they are celebrating that evening. Now, in my mind, when I would have the head of the table right here, but that's not where the head of the table is. The head of the table is over here. Actually, right here. This is where Jesus would have sat. Right here. The place of honor was on the right and on the left of the head of the table. So as Jesus is reclining here, most likely John was on his right. Many think Judas was on his left. We know Peter wasn't in any one of these two positions. Why? Because Peter, in another gospel, motions to John to say, hey, get his attention and ask who's gonna betray him. So Peter is in one of these other spots over here. But that's how this Passover meal would have been set up in this triclinium, this three-sided table as they're kneeling, reclining to eat. And so when you read about how the disciples began to argue about what position and who's most important. Why are they doing that? Because in that culture, position was important. What's my status? Am I gonna sit in the right and your left? God, Jesus, will you allow me to sit on your right and your left when you come into the kingdom? And so here they are arguing about who's most important. And I wonder if Jesus is absolutely exacerbated <laughs> by this. Because he has told them over and over and over again about what it means to be great. And that's to serve. And over and over again. But you can see it's built into their culture. It's built into our culture. What status do I hold? But especially at the table, you could see your status based on where you sat 
around the table. And here they are, they're arguing about who's greatest at one of the most, at the most important meal that they're eating. They're concerned about places of honor and forgetting the purpose and the passion of Passover. This is the most important ceremony for the Jewish people. They're to, they're to remember something important, to remember God's saving act of freeing the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. You remember the story, right? 1,200 years before Jesus, the Jewish people are in slavery in Egypt and God sends Moses to them and, asks, and Moses asks Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh won't relent. And God sends plague after plague on the people until even Pharaoh's advisors and the people of Egypt are begging Pharaoh to relent. But his heart is hardened and he will not humble himself. And God sends the final plague. You remember it? It is a horrible plague. A plague that brutally reminds Pharaoh that his hardened heart is the reason for the destruction of his people, that God is sovereign over all creation. It is a plague of judgment on Pharaoh and a plague of judgment on the people of Egypt. Because if you remember, remember when Moses was a baby, what did Pharaoh demand? That all newborn boys be killed and thrown into the Nile. And now Pharaoh is reaping what he has sown, death. And God through Moses tells Pharaoh that an angel of death will come that night and take away all the firstborn children in every household, even the firstborn of the animals. It's hard to even fathom what's coming upon them. The death of every firstborn. Can you imagine? On the surface, it might seem cruel, but we have to remember that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had enslaved the Jewish people for 400 years. They were brutal and their existence was a brutal existence. They killed them indiscriminately. Now was their day of judgment from God. They were guilty and death was coming. But God provided a way out. I don't think you heard me. God provided a way out. Let's just pause in our story and let me remind you, God always provides a way out. A way to escape the death that was certainly coming. And what did God say? He said, take a lamb and slaughter it and take some of the blood from that lamb and paint it on the doorposts of your house. So that later that night when the angel of death comes and you are under that blood, the angel will pass over your house and you will be spared. And all who were in the house would be spared from death. They would even bring in the animals. That's where we get the name Passover. The blood of the lamb saved the people. Even the Egyptians could have placed the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and they would have been spared. And any Jew who did not place 
the lamb's blood on the doorposts would not be spared. The blood of the lamb saved the people. I don't think you heard me. The blood of the lamb saved the people. And that gift of salvation was given to anyone who would obey God. The Jews placed themselves under the blood of the lamb and they were spared the judgment that was coming. And Exodus tells us that later on in that night, Pharaoh and all of his advisors in all of Egypt cried out in anguish as they saw their firstborn children die. All firstborn that weren't under the blood was killed. And Pharaoh tells them to get out, leave. They have to leave quickly and they don't even have time to bake bread with yeast because they don't have time for it to rise before they bake it. So they make unleavened bread. And the Jewish people escape Egypt. They flee into the desert, saved by the blood of the lamb. And God tells his people to celebrate a Passover meal every year to remember this saving event. They are to have a festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Part of the festival is the meal that will help take them back in time to remind them to remember that. Through that meal, they will remember their former lives as slaves in Egypt. And more than that, they were to recall God's saving mercy and grace and to tell their children and their grandchildren, so on and so forth forever about how God saved them. The Jews still celebrate this meal every year. Passover this year begins April 19th. It goes through April 27th. And traditionally, Passover, it, the meal itself would last for hours with family and good food and singing and retelling the story of Passover. Now, today they don't sit at a triclinium reclining, but they still have that symbolic meal. And in that meal, they would have a lamb. And that lamb would be placed on the, the plate and, and that lamb that they would eat as a family would remind them of the lamb's blood that was shed. They would also have on that plate salt water and they would dip their finger and taste the salt water to remind them of the tears of their life of existence in slavery. Third, they'd have horseradish or bitter greens and they would eat that to remind them of the bitterness of what it was like to make bricks for Pharaoh and slavery and the, the bitterness of their life. They'd also have a boiled egg, which was a symbol of suffering and oppression in Egypt. And then they would have bread, unleavened bread, to remind them of the bread they had to eat without yeast as they hurried out of Egypt. And then they would also have wine, actually four cups of wine during that meal, the beginning and the middle at the end and after as well. And this, these four cups were a reminder of the four promises of God made to the Israelites at the Exodus. In Exodus 9, we read this. Say therefore that to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you 
into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Those are the four promises that correspond to those four cups. I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will bring you in. So the meal itself is a reminder of the time. It helps transport us back to what the people experienced during the first Passover. Taste, experience, remember. It's a defining story and the meal is to help to remember what God had done to save them. So as Jesus is celebrating the Passover in the upper room, it's something that all of them had done every year since they could remember, since their childhood. It was one of those traditions that they they knew by heart, rolled off the tongue. They all knew their role and the significance of the meal and the event. But we know that this was no ordinary Passover meal. As Jesus leads the ritual, he does something strange. He, He changes the tradition. He changes the custom. And you can imagine that as Jesus says words that aren't in the traditional Passover Seder that the disciples kind of perk up because anytime you do something out of the ordinary, you kind of, you're, you, you wake up and say, what's going on? And I'm sure there was a, a heightened sense of anxiety in the room as he breaks the bread that they would have traditionally broke anyway. But he says these words. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not in the ritual. And so he is making Passover about himself. And then Jesus takes a cup. Right after the supper it says, He says, drink from this. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We think this is the third cup that would have been drank. This third cup was drank right after the meal and the text tells us that this cup that they drink is right after the meal. For the Jewish people, this third cup is the cup of redemption. I don't think you heard me. This is the cup of redemption. You've been redeemed. And Jesus takes this cup and he shares it with his disciples. And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. A new covenant. The amazing thing is, you know that in the Old Testament it speaks of a new covenant? This cup, you have been redeemed. Here's the good news. There's a way out. You do not have to live in slavery anymore. There's a way out. You are not trapped in your circumstances. There's a way out. You're not hopeless. There's a way out. Through the blood of Jesus, 
there is a way out. You have been redeemed. This new covenant is spoken about in Jeremiah chapter 31. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and I, I, I challenge you to read Jeremiah 31 and not weep for joy. For it is a prophecy of new life and redemption and a new covenant. He says, at that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of the families of Israel. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting, everlasting love. I've continued my faithfulness to you. There will be a, a day when I will come to you. For the Lord has ransomed you. He has redeemed you with his strong hand. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them, give them gladness. I will give the priests all that they shall be satisfied with. And then it says this. I will write their law on their hearts and I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as they finish the supper, they get up and they walk to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's late in the evening and Jesus goes to pray. And he says this prayer, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. The fourth cup. For us, it's a cup of blessing. For Jesus, it was a cup of wrath and judgment. A cup of judgment that all humanity deserved this cup for breaking God's covenant. Jesus prays that God would pass over him. Yet he wills that his father's will will be done. He knew that if he drank this cup, a cup of blessing, this fourth cup, then blessing would be poured out on all humanity and that a way out would be provided. In this last supper, Jesus becomes the spotless Passover lamb whose blood was poured out so that we could place ourselves under the blood. We will see him slaughtered so that the angel of death will pass over us. In this last supper, Jesus becomes the bread that is broken. In this last supper, he becomes the wine that is poured out, a cup of blessing that we bless. And in this moment, we'll partake in the great mystery of the sacrament of the last supper. Jesus has provided a way out. Let us pray. How we thank you, O oh God, for the remembrance of this night. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world, grant us your peace. Oh God, as we come to take communion,
we are reminded again that we're not worthy, that we have broken your law, that we argue about who's great, that we follow after our own whims and we forget the purpose and the passion of this last supper. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for placing our will above yours. Help us to place ourselves under your blood. For you promised to save us. Pour out your spirit, O God, on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they indeed be for us the body and blood of Christ. So as we receive this sacred meal, we indeed receive your saving grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.